Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to Initiated Survivor, where we connect to our fiercest fuck community of survivors and badassery ensues. I'm Kelsey Harper. I'm a clinical psychologist and survivor, and I love to bring us together to share our stories as well as practical tips to recover and reclaim our lives. As a community, we have truly formidable power to change our world, so thank you so much for being here. Here, we discuss topics relevant to survivors of gender-based violence. Some of these discussions may be triggering and contain adult content. Please be mindful of your needs throughout. Welcome back to Initiated Survivor. I'm so super excited for our episode today. I'm here with Kate Burns. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. Yeah. So can you share with us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am a survivor, trauma-informed poet, mental health advocate, and published author. I just published my first collection of poetry, oh my gosh, almost a year ago, like a little over a year ago. I just had my one-year anniversary on October 1st titled All My Favorite Men Are Dead. I publish under a pseudonym because when I started writing my poetry, it was all for me and my healing journey. And when I was ready to publish and share in the hopes of helping other women, I still wasn't yet ready to have my name tied to it. I think a lot of survivors can understand that it's also personal and then it adds a lot of like questions that people will have if they know it's you and it was really interesting because I did recently make the switch of changing up my social media from my pseudonym to my actual name and I was raped by my sister's ex-boyfriend my first year of college and within a few months of changing my Instagram to my actual name instead of my pseudonym where I share my poetry healing from that experience, his sister reached out to my sister and I was like, oh, so like, you know, these weren't irrational fears. It was like, no, these kinds of things do happen when you, when you claim it fully and you put your, put your name on it and put your face to it. And I'm really, I'm really grateful that I waited until I was capable of handling that instead of forcing myself to no, just claim it right away because, you know, that would have been empowering because at the time, that's not what would have empowered me. It would have been just scary and created a lot of situations I wasn't ready for. So I'm really glad I went the roundabout way of like, no, I'll use a pseudonym. I'll use like a picture of a painting that I like and I'll, and I'll post anonymously. Yeah, I think it's wonderful that you offered yourself this protective safe space so that you're also free to be creative and expressive especially considering then what happened. It's just, it always blows my mind how fast people are to react to survivors and protect perpetrators. So bananas about our culture. Yeah. And I, and I felt really bad for my sister because, you know, she didn't even reach out to me. She found my Instagram, but instead of reaching out to me, she like reached out to my sister, my first sister, like had to call me and be like, Hey, what do you want me to say? Like, this is such a weird position to be put in and I'm like yeah it really is and I'm really sorry (laughs) but thankfully my sister is very like supportive and loving and compassionate I'm really lucky to have like a lot of people in my life who are very very compassionate instead of very judgmental and very 
Because I think a lot of survivors face that of like, hmm, but did it? Mm. Like, you know, like getting that judgment of like, I don't really believe you. And that, especially in the early stages of healing, that is, that can break you. Absolutely. I think, it, you know, part of what made me want to talk to you is because you really speak a lot about how creativity is such a powerful healing tool for trauma and also how it helps us mobilize and gather as a community. This is also something I really resonated with in a variety of ways. On one side, you know, when I felt like I was in the darkest points of my trauma symptoms, it was the times when it was like the hardest to create. Like my mind just, it felt like it just could not bend that way. It couldn't do that kind of thing. And then when my creativity returned or my creative mind started to kind of like wake up from its nap that it was in, it became such a a wonderful vehicle. And I, you know, was writing things like short stories or just like writing little blurbs that I never thought was poetry at the time. It was just like rage spilling out kind of thing. And it was really powerful to get expressive in that way and to do different things like that were very creative as well, like rituals and ceremonies and painting and anything that just helped me be expressive, but also in a deeply personal way. And I feel like creativity is one of the ways we can do that. And especially what jumps out to me is that I feel like creativity with writing, with music, with art, whatever it is, is also one of the few ways we can communicate something that is this complex and also have people speak to us and say, like, this actually really resonates with me. And so we end up feeling so much less alone because we're able to relate to each other about something that is so individual and so isolating. And so I think it's so powerful. And I love that this is something that you're bringing to this community. What role did this play for you? I love everything that you just expressed about creativity and the ability it is to get like certain emotions out. And I love that you said like, you know, I wouldn't have called that poetry. And uh, for me, I'm like, Poetry is just about everything. In my mind, I'm like, poetry encompasses so much more, even to me, than just written words. Like, I'll take a picture of my breakfast and I'll be like, this is poetry. Poetry as breakfast. And I wrote like a little, like a silly little poem one day. And I realized like, oh, but this is kind of powerful. You know, with with stories, you need characters and plots. But with poetry, you only need feelings and thoughts. So if you're putting anything down onto paper that is a feeling or a thought, you've just written a poem. People can argue whether or not, you know, they think it's a good poem, whatever that means. You've just, you've written a poem. You're expressing your truth. You're expressing something that's inside of you. Like that's a poem. And that's the power of, of all creative expression, whether it's written or, or painting or musical. And for me, it was really interesting. I, 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 like, I think a lot of survivors could relate to this, but this may not be every survivor's experience, especially with creative expression. I really, I grew up in a household where expressing emotions and ex- having difficulties in needing help was not okay. So when I was molested by my cross-country coach and then a few months later raped by my sister's ex-boyfriend, I didn't really think I could even ask for help. And I, and I convinced myself I don't need help. Like I convinced myself it's like, hey, that's over. You're fine. In the past, move on. And I was just repeating that mantra in my mind for for years like you're fine you're fine you're fine I was attempting to take my own life I was self-harming my my like mental health if I had actually gone into a professional 
can't even imagine what they would have told me with how awful it was. I would just like lay in bed for days. My self-talk was horrible. And I just kept going with this narrative of you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And finally, after my third failed suicide attempt in 2019, I could not sleep. And I lay awake one night and, and all of a sudden, all these words came rushing out. And I just found myself writing and I didn't even, I wouldn't have called them poems at the time. And it was such a way for me to face up to my truth because everything that came out was staring me directly in the face. You are not fine. I finally had to look at a piece of paper with all the words I had been trying not to say for almost a decade, just staring me in the face. And it was such a wake up call. And it was such an amazing first step to realize I'm not okay. I need help. You know, it's like you hear that when in regards to like AA, the first step is admitting you have a problem. And it, it like, you know, we all associate that with AA, but it's so true in, with anything. The first step is admitting I'm, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm really not. That's so wonderful. And so it sounds like it was a, kind of like this life preserver that got you out of the like the rapids at a very important time. Yeah, it very much did. It, it was it was such a lifeline and it was such a way of like, okay, finally, like I'm facing my truth, but I'm also giving all of this pain somewhere to exist in this world outside of my body because keeping it held within my body was, it was, it was very literally killing me. And so being able to put it somewhere outside of my body and say like, okay, like you have a right to exist. There's a reason you're here but I don't need to be holding on to this and, and just letting it eat away. It That really helps a lot. Now, that whole process for me and realizing how important that was, was such a huge inspiration when I did decide to publish my poetry with the hopes of, you know, helping other survivors and, you know, helping them feel seen and helping them in any way on their healing journey. I left every other page of my poetry book blank because I wanted to give that space of, these poems represent my healing process. Here's the space for yours. You know, like if you need to like, if you get triggered by anything or if something comes up for you, here's the space where you can write or you can like grab a Sharpie and just like just rage scribble or whatever you need. It's right there for you. That's really beautiful. I find also that I really like to respond when like I read poetry or like song lyrics in that way, kind of like you were describing earlier, it's very different than writing prose, which has characters and a plot and stuff like that. And you often aren't responding, but, you know, with poetry, there is kind of, because it's so expressive, there is this experience of responding to it. I, I experience something happening in me and can say something back. And so that's really beautiful that you created that space in your book and was thoughtful about that. Yeah, I love that you said that response aspect here because I did have a, a friend of a friend who who purchased the book after I published and, you know, reached out to me a, a few months later and, and let me know that she had written a letter to herself on all of the pages of the poems that had like really touched her where she felt like, I feel this and there's something in me that, that needs to be held and needs to be seen. And she wrote herself a letter on those pages. And I'm like, that's so beautiful. Like, I love that. Oh, that's wonderful. I love the dynamic of making something like a book of poetry really active. I wrote that in my letter to the reader of like, this is a collaboration between the two of us. This is as much yours as it is mine. The second you buy it, it's, it's just as much yours. Because I realized I'm, I'm writing a 
a book of poetry about this is the first in a trilogy and it is all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the depression and the trauma. It's everything that was slowly killing me all in one book. And so I realized I'm like, this is not only very triggering and very intense, but it's like people who are going to be reading this and wanting to be reading this are mostly going to be women who experience this and understand it intimately. And I'm like, and I really did want it to be a space for their healing as much as mine. So I was like, no, I, I need to give that space. Yeah, it was like you were already trying to connect a community and bring us all together and in, into a space out the gate. Yeah, because I think so much, so much healing happens in community when you don't feel alone anymore. Like that, that's where a lot of healing happens and you don't feel like you have to keep quiet and you're not alone. Absolutely. What, you know, when you go from that, specific night where you wrote everything out to now you're writing a trilogy of poetry books, you know, and also I don't think that you mentioned this, but that you also host open mic nights and poetry groups and things like that. How do we go from that one night of having this thing just open up within you to where you are now? Oh, that is, it is such a long process. And I don't, I don't mean to say that in a defeating way, it more of just an empowering way of like, you know, for anybody who feels like that they're at the very beginning stages of that process. If like next week or next month, you are fully healed and sharing your story and like starting groups and communities, that's totally fine. It took me, I mean, that was 2019 when I started writing poetry, my last attempt to take my own life. And I mean, we're talking the very next, year I was like broke moved back in with my parents then the COVID hit I was out of a job like things got a lot like worse per se before they got better it took a lot and it took a lot of community you know obviously everybody's very different like culturally and I know it like not everybody can do this but I, I really needed to cut certain family members out of my life family who who weren't supportive who were judgmental and questioning and yeah, just making sure I had good people around me who loved me, supported me, just gave me all the compassion and kindness that I needed. I think that was really crucial. And I think changing my inner talk, I think the two most important things from getting from there to here were having people around me who spoke to me kindly and learning how to speak to myself kindly and switching the narrative. And even now, like, I think I'm, I'm doing, I'm not just, I think, I know I'm doing much better now. And there are even some moments where it's like, I'm brought so low that inner cruel, nasty person comes back out again. And I'll, and I'll catch myself being just as mean to myself as I used to be. But thankfully now I catch myself and I stop mid while doing that. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not talking to ourselves this way. And I go back to like, I will be totally honest. Like it sounds so silly, but I will literally like stroke my cheek and I'll be like, oh, sweet baby girl, poor baby girl is so kind. Like I will speak to myself like I am a two-year-old and I am my idea of the best mom. Like, oh, you can cry. Like it sounds really silly. I'm not kidding. In the moments that I'm actually crying, like it means the world. Yeah, it's, it's game-changing in a way that like can be hard to like wrap your head around because it sounds kind of silly. Well, I, I mean, I think 
my mind kind of jumps into like, oh, that sounds like patriarchy, that we would minimize something that is so instinctual and intuitive and soothing and comforting to connect with like that internal mother figure, that internal caregiver and that nurturing and that love within us and say that it's it's silly or that it's something that, you know, we shouldn't be doing or we should be ashamed of or embarrassed by as opposed to like this incredibly powerful way of loving on ourselves. I think that's beautiful. Oh my God, Kelsey, literally. Yes. I love that perspective on it. Clearly, I still have some like patriarchal brainwashing to undo that my mind even went to like, oh, this is silly. I don't know. You do start to get like, oh, I'm 30. I shouldn't be hugging a stuffed animal curled up in a ball, crying my eyes out. But I don't know. Yeah. Getting to the point where you realize like I'm going to be a human being at every age. I might be hugging a stuffed animal curled up in a ball, crying my eyes out at 78. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. And, And hopefully at 78, like there are zero fucks given at that point. Hopefully by then you're like, you know what? I've been through everything. I'm like, so far in my healing journeys, I dare this world to try to phase me that that much. Yeah, definitely. Well, so when you think about poetry and survivors who may want to do something like this, what would you recommend? Like, where could they start? How could they get engaged in something like this? You know, I think what you said about poetry is just words and feelings, you know, that it's not actually, you know, doesn't have to have this structure. And I'm guessing that also goes with it doesn't have to rhyme, you know, and all of that stuff. And that's so much freedom and space, which is so wonderful. How could somebody get started if they're feeling that sense of that pressure of that buildup of they need to express something, they want to try something like poetry? How would you recommend they get started? Ooh, I love that you asked this question, especially because I just completed a social emotional art certification program through UCLA. And I think the best thing you can do, whether it's poetry or any creative expression, you want to start using creativity to heal whatever form that ends up taking. Don't take classes. Don't take classes. Choose the form that you just genuinely want. Like, your heart will tell you like the whatever little kid version of you always, I always wanted to be a writer. I always did. And I'm just like, never thought I would be good enough. So the fact that I just started writing that night, that was, that was deep cut little Katie just coming out being like, please listen to what I have to say. But like, maybe your heart is like, I always wanted to be a painter, but never thought I'd be good enough. I always wanted to play guitar, but I, I just never thought I could do it. You know, I'm not good enough. A part of like, ignore that part and don't share with anybody, whatever you write or paint or draw or create, don't share with anybody who's going to judge how good it is. Share it with somebody that you trust on an emotional level to see you because what creativity is doing when you're healing, not when you're just trying to be the best poet or like a famous painter, those are different goals. But when you're doing it to heal, finding somebody to share who will see you and understand what you're conveying is what you want. You do not want somebody who's going to judge you and be like, yeah, but don't you think that word would have been better? Or "Mm, I don't know if this painting is like all that it could, like that's the worst thing you could do when you're trying to heal. 
And so taking away the judgment externally and allowing yourself to take away the judgment. Don't judge what you wrote. Don't judge the poem that you wrote. Don't judge the painting that you created. Let it be this free space of play, almost as if you're like a little kid again of like, I'm just trying things out. I'm just feeling through the paintbrush or feeling through the pencil, like giving yourself that space of zero's judgment, because I think that's when your most honest emotions are going to come out. Whether those most honest emotions are positive or negative or otherwise, but when they feel safe, when they know there's no judgment, they're going to allow themselves to be seen by you. And then you can choose who to then be seen by. I'm going to take that in for a minute. That was absolutely beautiful. I loved like picking somebody to read your work that's going to read it from the perspective of witnessing or bearing witness to your emotional experience, to your self-expression, not from this place of judging how good it is or how to make it better from a craft kind of perspective. And even that relating to like not taking classes and that kind of thing, because it's just such a creativity killer to have those kinds of things. And I thought that just sounded so beautiful because that also just pulls up this community piece that, you know, we keep coming back to as survivors, as as humans, I think, especially in this late stage capitalist hellscape, we're like realizing, you know, the jig is up, like community is actually what we were supposed to be coming back to and what was taken from us. And we're healing some of those wounds about, you know, what colonialism really stole from us with that. And as survivors, how powerful we become in community. And that's something that I think really speaks through a lot of your work and a lot of your content and stuff that you put out. And that was just absolutely magnificent. I loved that. And yeah, speaking to what you just said, because I love that you do bring my awareness more to, you know, the more larger social and political aspects of what it means to be a survivor. And yeah, I do think you know, taking classes and this idea that art, any form of expression can be good or bad or it can be elevated. I'm like, that is so patriarchal. That is such a male dominated perspective of like, make it better. Like this is about how good we can get. This is a competition. Who's the best? Who gets the gold medal? And I feel like such a feminine perspective is like, let me witness you. Let me share myself with you. Let me open up to you and allow you in to my space. Like that's such a more like feminine perspective. And I found so much more healing when I approach my creativity from that perspective, instead of like, how can I make this poem better? I never ask myself that. I always, at the end of a poem, I ask myself, is this poem as true as I can get? Is there more truth that I'm hiding from? It's never what'll make this better. Oh, I love that question. Is this complete in that it's telling the whole truth? Or is there more truth to tell? I love that. Beautiful. What are some of the ways that you find, whether it's connecting with community, working creatively, working in creative communities, how, what have you found has been the most effective for your healing around that? I think because there's so many layers, like to my own personal healing journey, there's the sexual assault and rape I experienced as a young adult, but then underneath that are the layers of childhood trauma that I experienced. So I know that at the beginning of my journey, 
having more alone time, writing alone, like poetry is very well suited to people who experience comfort in isolation, because then I was able to just, you know, write in isolation and then like eventually come out of my room, find somebody that's safe enough to share it with. Like there was a lot of control that I had over it because I was the scapegoat of my family. And so I had a lot of wounds around being around people and believing that they were going to judge me and see me as bad and see me as not good and, and not deserving and not worthy. So slowly easing into community was really helpful for me and allowing myself and not placing judgment or shame on how much time I needed alone and on the stories that would come up when I first started creating community around like I would have a really successful like you know the open mic event or I remember my launch party last year so many people came out and it was so amazing and there was like such a high during and the very next day I was like oh my gosh what if everybody hated that party couldn't believe that they wasted their time coming to support me felt like it was such an inconvenience what if I burdened people by you know asking them to come or they didn't really enjoy those and I came up with all these stories that just had so much more to do with everything I experienced in childhood than the reality of it and you know giving myself grace to just come through those stories to realize like okay I'm not and then you start to be like oh the fact that I'm creating these stories she shows how unhealed I am and then you start shaming yourself for not being more healed and you're just like oh this is bad (laughs) so giving myself grace for even coming up with negative stories that made me feel bad in the first place and then like yeah just easing into community and just starting to realize like I don't know if this is great for everybody, but one thing that was really great for me is I don't remember, I I did not say this, I'm sure it's some famous quote on the internet or whatever, but it's like when you realize that people just don't really care about you that much, that was so releasing for me personally. Like maybe that would make somebody feel really unseen and unloved, like someone else in their own wounds and stuff. But for somebody who like fell under a microscope for my childhood and everything was judged as wrong and everything was judged as bad. And I was the reason everybody was miserable, realizing that in my adult life, most people don't really care about me and aren't affected by me was like, oh, thank God, I'm not ruining everybody's days just by existing. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think like easing into community for me personally. But again, I think that goes back to childhood trauma. Yeah, well, I think, I, you know, for me, I found a similar thing too, that there was a lot of safety that was required for me around being by myself and creating my own safe space. Like my own, I always kind of like refer to it as a cave or my cave, even though it was like, you know, a little one bedroom apartment and it was not a cave. It was very bright and colorful, but it was also like, it was just like this idea of retreating in and tucking in and needing to do that for a while and do a lot of things that were just about feeling comforted and comfortable. And I think for me, like starting to like stick my nose out, you know, be like, who's here? What are we doing? First was like, I had to actually start admitting to myself what happened and to, you know, started thinking about what would it be like to say this out loud to other people, you know, who aren't healthcare professionals and also having had some bad experiences with healthcare professionals around it. But yeah, and I think that was actually what it was, was like, okay, I think I'm prepared to say this, but really to like very specific people. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. For me, it was very odd winding kind of route to get to a community. 
is it, you know, I was like, statistically, my little Virgo mind is like, statistically, there's a lot of survivors out there. Where are they? And I was living in a very large city that you would expect would have communities for this. And there just weren't any. And one day I was like on meetup.com and found a survivors group of all places. <laughs> Thank goodness there's, you know, people from that group that are like my dearest friends still today. And it was such this beautiful space where I could say all these things that I, just like you were saying, judged myself for feeling, for thinking, for going through all of these conflicting emotions and thoughts and having all these ups and downs around these different things and having them just like hold space and listen was really, really powerful. So I think like, you know, with what you're saying around the taking it slow, right? And also, you know, having a sense of agency in it, like I get to choose who's going to have information about me. I'm going to choose, you know, how this is going to be shared. I'm giving myself permission to not be a part of that community, to leave that community if I need to. You know, all of that kind of stuff is incredibly helpful and powerful. And have a cave too. Highly recommend it. Fill it with definitely lots of stuffed animals and maybe like real floofy ones too. Yes, lots of comfort items, things that are warm and soft. Oh my gosh, yes, 100%. I created an emotional emergency care kit for myself and having that on hand has been amazing. So what is in your emotional emergency (laughs) care kit? It is my favorite thing I ever made for myself because I just realized I'm like, when I look back over the course of my life and I can count on one hand, the number of times I've accidentally like cut my finger or needed a first aid kit. But the number of times I haven't been able to like regulate my own emotions or experience such turbulent, like, triggers and overwhelm and just the pain just comes out of nowhere. I'm like, I can't even count that. It would be innumerable. So I'm like, well, there's clearly something missing here because I need a first aid kit for my emotion. So I literally got a box. I decorated it, added the nicest messages on it, like like stickers and beautiful paper that I like. And inside of it, I, I wrote letters to myself of like, you know, read this when you're upset and read this when you're mad and read this when, you know, you feel hopeless, you feel worthless, read this the next time you don't really want to be on this earth anymore. And I asked the people that I, that I cared about who I trusted to write me letters as well, just more affirmation, more validation. And I told them what it was for. I was like, this is for the moments when not doing too great. And then I put some of my favorite poems, some pictures that always like bring a smile to my face and remind me of good memories that I've had. And I've got like a really pretty rock in there that I like holding. That's been a game changer. And I'm really excited because I'm actually about to present at a education wellness conference over in Temecula to a bunch of educators to hopefully bring this idea into classrooms and have kids in California classrooms have their own emotional emergency care kits to turn to. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so wonderful. And I love this piece about reaching out to trusted people to also contribute letters. And I think, you know, a lot of people, the therapists and my clients, I speak to about like how to pull in social supports. And as a survivor myself, like also know how it feels so vulnerable to ask for folks to support us in these different ways. 
And one of the things that I remind my clients and I try to remind myself is like, as a friend, if someone asked me to contribute a letter to their emergency emotional care kit, I would be writing like pages upon pages. And I'd probably be like, do you want glitter? How about markers, stickers? It, what is it that you want on it? And I put all of those things. And is there any way I can make non-perishable cupcakes to join it? You know, like I want to shower you with love and I absolutely want to be a part of that. And how wonderful it feels to have friends trust us with that kind of thing and include us in those very personal, sensitive parts of their lives. And then when it's our turn to ask for that support, how much we're like, I don't want to burden people. What if people don't actually want to do this for me and how painful that's going to be? Or what if people think I'm crazy or they think it's silly? You know, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to need one of these things. And we do so much minimizing and dismissing. And it's so, so it's so cool to hear that you, you took the leap and asked and got letters from folks for your emergency emotional care. Kit. Yeah. And I, one thing I really loved about that too, and I was very intentional about including other people in this and not just making this by me for me, is the realization that in moments when I'm mentally well and, you know, I'm feeling confident, I'm feeling good on those good days, I have no doubts in my mind that there are people in this world who love me, who support me and who want to be there for me when I'm low. It's when I'm low that all of a sudden I'm like, no, they're busy. I don't want to burden them. No, I don't want to bring this negativity into somebody else's life. Like I start to create these stories around like, it's so awful for me to experience all this. And now what I'm going to call somebody up and add this to their day. And it feels like such a burden. And it feels so like, I don't know, like I, I have a lot of insecurity around doing that. So I was like, I can ask for these letters in a moment when I'm well, and now I'm getting the love and the support from the people who want to give it to me anyway, without going through that whole tailspin spiral of, you know, the arguments that go on in my head of like, do not put this on somebody else. Like, this is so hard for you to deal with. And now you're going to like, what ruin somebody else's day. And that's, that's crazy. Cause it's like, exactly what you said like people want to be there they want to shower you with love but like I know a lot of survivors probably deal with the same thing of like I don't want to be a burden like especially if you had childhood trauma on top of it like I have such a wound around being easy to love because my parents told me from a very young age that I'm very hard to love and it is not fun to love me I really try to make it easy for people to love me so that was something that was so hard so I was like okay I can ask for these letters in a good moment when I'm like more confident. Well, and I love how, you know, inherently healing that is even to that attachment wound as well, to have those letters ready for you during times when that old attachment trauma gets activated again. It's wonderful. Oh, wait, I wanted to say something going back to community because I do think because my healing journey was spanned over the course of a decade, I think I do tend to forget when we were talking about community and easing into community. Like I have created so much more community for myself, like recently and, you know, given myself grace around like easing into that. But at the very beginning of my healing journey, like the extent to which I hated men, did not trust men, assumed guilty until proven innocent. You are likely a monster, rapist, awful human being given the chance until proven otherwise. And I don't think you're ever going to be able to prove to me otherwise. And like, I give myself a lot of grace now for being that 
person. Like I, I don't allow other people when I talk about that, especially not men to criticize that because it's like, no, you don't understand how much I needed that after what I experienced. And if you had experienced what I had experienced as a woman, you might've needed it too. Cause there, it does, it creates a lot of deep wounds, especially like when, you know, it's not just being assaulted or raped, it's being assaulted or raped by somebody you trusted, knew for years, felt like you could trust them completely. Like that is such a deep, deep wound of like, not only do you're like, men can't be trusted, but then you start to even not trust yourself in knowing who to trust and not trust mm-hmm. your ability to gauge people and to like know who's who's going to be a good person. So yeah, really allowing myself to just hate men for as long as I needed to because I really needed to because I was really, I was really angry. I really appreciate that invitation that you're offering survivors to really allow themselves to own their feelings and to be with them, especially how much given our our lovely patriarchal hellscape that we have to trip over our words and be careful, not all men and not this and blah, 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 some people and to not, you know, piss off the community that is reinforcing, you know, this type of violence. And instead you standing there and saying like, this is actually really important for me to hold space for these feelings. And I'm not going to let anybody tell me I should not have done that. And I think that's wonderful. That is that is really, truly liberating. It's been a really amazing experience now, like where I've gotten to on my healing journey. And I do now have more men around me and I do feel more comfortable adding men to my circle and being able to engage with them on this topic and telling them about how I used to be and how angry I was and how nasty I was to men immediately and getting their feedback and response and then being able to explain to them how important it was and seeing how maybe it changes their mind in regards to dealing with those women now it's and not dealing with but like when they like are now have experiencing you know women who might be going through the same thing it's like you know there's no judgment or aggression or cruelty needed on your end walk away that woman doesn't want you in her life that woman doesn't want you near her that like clearly she's giving every indication get the app away from me I don't like you I don't want you around me I don't trust you so it's like you don't need to judge or or try to prove her wrong or try to convince her why you're good walk away leave her alone she trust me she'll be much much happier and having them come to that realization of like oh yeah people are just angry for no reason oh that woman has probably been treated very poorly by men and had things happen to, to get to that level. Like I would like men would come up to me at a bar and I would literally just look at them and I would say F off without question. And if they continue to badger me, I would start to talk about the ways in which I knew how to scoop people's eyeballs out. And I would try to, I would try to make them like genuinely afraid. I would be like, I know how to scoop somebody's eyeballs out with my thumb. And if they literally wouldn't stay away from me, I would grab their head and put my thumb in the corner of their eyes if I was going to do it. Like, I'm like, see, this is how you do it. Most of the time they would leave me alone at that point. But like, (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty awesome. It's kind of funny looking back now, but it makes total sense. When I'm really looking back, I'm like, I had my body violated. Of course, I wanted men to feel physically unsafe in their bodies around me. Of course, like, I was doing this all subconsciously, but when I bring my conscious mind into examining the patterns of behavior, that makes complete and total sense. I didn't feel safe in my body. Now you're not going to feel safe in yours. Right. 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 It's being a little warrior for yourself. 
Yeah. And it was achieving her goal. And it's like, obviously I'm very grateful that I'm like, have worked through what I needed to and, and have more trust in myself and yeah, have a wider circle and have allowed men into it. But I do not judge that version of myself. She needed to be as mean and nasty and terrifying as she was. Go out and be terrifying. <laughs> Go out and be terrifying. I love that. Sending out that message. Survivors, be terrifying. So we're coming to the end of our time. I usually ask people, ask guests if they have any final words for survivors listening to this. I was wondering if it would be all right with you to ask you if you'd be open to reading one of your poems. Oh my God, I would absolutely, I would absolutely love to. Oh man, there's like so, okay, I'm going to do one of the more positive ones because it's it's an ending. So, ooh, this is perfect. I'm going to read the last poem in my book, and it's titled Me Too. It happened to me too that things that you don't speak about. And even though I don't speak about it either, really, I just wanted you to know you're not alone. I see the pain you never show. I've heard the screams that burn inside your throat. I taste tears you cry at night, so even you can't see how much this world has broken you. And though it can't possibly lighten your load or take away the pain, I hope it helps in some small way to know this world has also broken me. And yet somehow, still, I continue to be. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That was so beautiful. Yeah, that is, that's one of the more positive ones in the book. Because like I said, the book is a lot of all of the pain and the hurt and the trauma. But yeah, you can never end things on too low. But no, you have to you have to be like, no, but like even through all the pain, even through the worst of it, I'm still here. You're still here. And you deserve to be here. And this world is better for the fact that you are here. The, this world is better because you are here. On that note, thank you so much for being here. Where could people find you if they wanted to connect with you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Kate Burns Poet. And then I have a website, kateburnspoet.com. And my book, All My Favorite Men Are Dead, is available for purchase on Amazon. Yay. And we will link all of that down in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. This is beautiful. Thank you all for joining us in this episode and connecting with our badass community. Thank you to Sam Valentine and her awesome team at Fast Forward Productions for producing, editing, publishing, and all around making this podcast possible. If you found something in this episode that resonated with you, please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. This quick but meaningful action supports the show and helps make us more visible to other survivors and allies who might be looking for support and connection. I love connecting with listeners, survivors, and allies. So if you found something in this episode useful or interesting, please screenshot the episode and share it on your stories and tag me at Initiated Survivor. An important and final note, while I am a clinical psychologist, this episode and podcast is not a replacement for mental health care. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Neither the host nor the guests are rendering mental health or other professional advice. 
and this podcast does not constitute an established professional relationship. If you are looking for mental health care or professional help, please seek it out. We have some links in the show notes that may assist with this, or you can contact your insurance carrier for a referral.